we are in the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, teaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going through the book of Matthew one verse at a time, sharing with you the message of Jesus. Now, uh, up to this point, uh, we've seen a, a lot of what Jesus talked about. He gave us a Sermon on the Mount. A lot of us was very encouraging. Some of it was like, wow, you know, he was he was pretty intense. This idea of this little weak. Fuzzy Jesus is not a true picture of Jesus. He was pretty strong with people. After that, people would try and follow him. He was very strong. Hey, if you're going to follow me, you got to let go of everything. And that's the principle still today. Uh, to really know God in your life, um, it's an all-in or all-out proposition. You can't ride the fence on this thing. You're either in or you're out. If you're going to be in, it requires you to let go of everything and let God in your life. And uh, he was telling people, look, if you're going to follow me, as he sent his disciples out, he warned them, said, look, people are going to hate you. They'll give you a hard time. Some of your biggest enemies will be members of your own household. You don't have to serve Jesus very long before you find that out. Some people who thought you thought were your friends, all of a sudden they're your enemies. Some of your family members think you're crazy or they're really against you and make life very miserable for you. That's normal. And Jesus warned us, that's what it's going to be like. It's going to cost you a lot. At, at some level to follow me. If you let go of this world and really connect with his world, it's a pretty big step. Then while he's teaching this, the members of John the Baptist's organization, his followers came to him, came to Jesus and said, John sent us and wants to ask you a question. Are you the Messiah or do we wait for somebody else? Now, stop and think how dramatic that is. John the Baptist is the guy who set the stage for Jesus. He was the prophet that God promised would come and pave the way for the Messiah. Uh, Jesus said, of all men, no man was greater among women born than John the Baptist. You don't get any better than this guy. And he's the guy who, when Jesus comes, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. He announced Jesus as the Messiah, baptized him. That's where you hear the Holy Spirit comes and God spoke from heaven. Everybody could hear, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus begins his ministry. Well, if you think anybody knows Jesus, it's John the Baptist. But now John the Baptist is doubting. Why? Because he's in prison now. And he's suffering. And we shared about that. You know, sometimes when you're in a dark place, it's easy to lose your faith. If you feel at times, you feel like your faith is wavering, don't get discouraged. And don't even necessarily feel bad about it. The truth of the matter is, um, that's what happens when you go through really dark times. If John the Baptist would have moments of doubt. Certainly, we, who are not nearly of that stature, would have moments of doubt as well. Uh, that's why there's the importance of doing life together, doing faith together, have, being a part of a community of faith. Christianity was never intended to be a solo deal. It's not supposed to be just you on an island between just you and God. Like, oh, I, just, I know God. No, no, no. It's not supposed to be just you and God. You need to be doing this with people. That's the purpose of the church. That's why Jesus established the church. And Jesus indeed sent his disciples back to John, told him to encourage him, lift him up, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so he's, here he is talking about John. Uh, and then it kind of it dawns on him the stark difference between him and John in the way they approach life, but yet how much people criticize both of them. And he start, picks it up in verse 16. He says, to what can I compare this generation? How can I describe these people that are bellyaching? He says, they're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. <laughs> we sang a sad song, a dirge. You did not mourn. <laughs> 
These are the classic control freaks of life. And every church has them. I think evangelical Christianity has a disproportionate share of them. People who are they're just whiners and belly acres, And they love to complain about everything and anything they can find. And they get really upset. Really upset. When you complain and you don't respond to their complaints. And sometimes they use very spiritual terminology. Well, I was, I was offended. I was really offended. I came to church and, and shook the guy's hand and he didn't look me in the eye. I, I was very offended. I'll buy that. Now everybody panics with all these little control freaks. Oh, we can't offend people. Seriously, just relax. We should have a new rule in church. Every time someone says they're offended, we slap them in the face. (laughs) And if that offends them, slap them again. Seriously, stop it. And churches that are so scared to death. I'll tell you, political correctness, it started in churches. We lay the path for this stupidity that poisoned our country today. You can't say anything to offend anybody in America today. Oh, oh it might be offensive. Oh, Start in churches. We can't say anything. Have you noticed a lot of churches, they never really talk about anything? Hardly anything. Why? Because they're afraid of offending people. They're afraid of one person. They're afraid they might... Clearly, we don't have that problem here. <laughs> no, 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 no. We might be a church of 10,000 if it weren't for this big mouth, all right? Because I'm always ticking off somebody, but I'm not going to be afraid to talk about life because I was going to get offended. Booty stinking who? Quit freaking out over there. And that just irritates me. Besides, and spiritual people who claim this, the scripture says this, Psalm 119 says, perfect peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. You either truly love God and nothing offends you, or you get offended proving you don't really love God. Uh, You can't have it both ways. But some of the most spiritual people say, really love God, always go, I'm so offended by it. He said that, and they did that, and that person picked their nose, and I hated that, and that offended. And I think we, we shouldn't do this, because I don't think we should do this. And I played the flute, and you didn't dance. And I sang a song, you didn't mourn. They're nothing but control freaks. They want people to jump and hop to the way they think things should be. Seriously, check your medication. Stop it. You don't need to control everything. Well, I don't agree with everything. Well, nobody agrees with everything. Good grief. So he's, he's thinking of him and John the Baptist. So he says, well, so John comes neither eating or drinking. Not that he never ate or drank. He's talking about he didn't eat much and he didn't drink alcohol. Okay, John, basically, he ate bugs. He was a bug eater. Locusts. That's what the Bible says. He lived on locusts and honey. Which I guess if you have enough honey, you can eat dirt. <laughs> His version of Happy Meals. A little honey dip. Did you the locusts? <laughs> and, uh, and he was very odd. And, uh, and then he didn't drink any alcohol. No alcohol at all. From the moment he was born. Nothing. And Jesus said, you said he has a demon. He's got to be crazy. He eats bugs and he doesn't drink booze. He's clearly full of the devil. And then he says, and then the son of man comes eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard. That's what they call Jesus. A glutton and a drunkard. The reason they call him a glutton is because, and we read it oftentimes, Jesus would come into town and he would have dinner with, you know, the, you know, the head of the synagogue or, you know, these 
<laughs> repentant tax collectors who are extremely wealthy people. Uh, and, uh, and when Jesus came over, it, you know, it wasn't like they served him bologna sandwiches. These are like major blowouts, you know? You give them the best. So he was eat, he's eating like a king. And people criticized him for that. No matter what you do, people will criticize you for it. You eat bugs, you're crazy. You're eating too good, don't you? You shouldn't, you shouldn't eat that good. All right, people shouldn't live that nice. By the way, if you're one of these crazy... What's the word I want to use? It'll be nice. You know, these, these class warfare people. Yeah, I hate rich people. Seriously, don't be a jerk, okay? You being envious of somebody else doesn't accomplish anything. All right? Stop that. Be content with what you have, the Bible says. None of your business what somebody else has. All this hate and nonsense and people going crazy in this country. He's eating too good. He's eating too good. So they criticized Jesus because he's eating too good. Everywhere he went. He had these big blowout dinners. Sometimes, you know, he'd invite himself over to people's houses. Like when Zacchaeus, he sees, we'll see, he sees Zacchaeus, he's sitting in a tree. He walks in, hey Zacchaeus, I'm going to have dinner at your house today. Cool, he jumps down, gets everything ready, runs home. So I says, what are you doing? So we're having a big party. I told you, don't invite people without telling me. He invited himself. Sometimes he doesn't invite him and he'd show up. And I promise you, when did you, do you think if Jesus showed up at your house, you'd do more than a bratwurst? Right? Big blowout, right? So they just, oh, the nicest stuff. They criticized him for that. And then unlike John, Jesus did drink wine. You know, some people just, and I know there's people here that in our churches, some of you just for conscious sake don't have anything to do with any alcohol. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But Jesus drank alcohol. And so did. <laughs> In case you're wondering on the video, someone just went, woo! But anyway, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway, he, <laughs> he drank, but he wasn't a drunk. Don't get plastered with booze. Some of you guys said, I'm copping a buzz. Stop that. All right? But it wasn't, you know, some people went, oh, he didn't drink, you know, you know, wine, he drank grape juice. <sighs> then why did they say he was a drunk? I mean, how much grape juice do you got to drink to get drunk? <laughs> That's a lot of grape juice. I mean, the intellectual leap you got to make in your head to say that Jesus didn't drink wine that is, you can't even begin to be intellectually honest. It's, it's just absurd. Okay. And we can spend an hour talking. We're just not going to, if you can't get past that, just, you're not going to get past it. But they criticized him for that. Uh, and then he hung with the wrong people. He says, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And he says, so, he says, these people, you know, one guy lives this way, he's not doing it right. I do the opposite, he's not doing it right. And then people are always critical. And they're just these little flute players, and they're mad because they can't control everything. And then he says, look, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. In other words, bottom line, um, you know, my actions establish who I am. And what did Jesus do? He preached, he ministered to people, he healed people. I mean, was, you know, clearly uh, his deeds were rather impressive. But all of our deeds should be like that. And we don't do things to earn our way to God. That's impossible. But if you really know God, you're going to do good things. It will mark who you are. How nice are you to people? How much do you help? How generous are you? 
to people. Jesus is going to talk about it in the next chapter. He says, you're going to know them by their fruit. You really know who people are by what comes out of them. Not just by what they say or what they think. And you know, at the end of the day, it's really about what we do. How we live out our faith. It's not about everybody understanding and agreeing with every little verse in the Bible the same. Nobody does that. You know, know, I'm teaching the Bible verse by verse. I'm I'm showing you what I think it means. Sometimes you think, well, I think it means something else. Okay. (laughs) Peace. You know, it's uh, not everybody has to agree with everything. I don't insist that everybody has to think like me. This isn't some kind of weird cult, you know. You can, lots of people disagree with me. My wife disagrees with me half the time, you know, about a great many things. Um, you know, so, uh, there's, you know, it's not about doctrine and stuff. There's only one person, I, there's not any preacher I've ever heard that I agree with everything he says, except for one. Me. I think I'm brilliant. And at the end of the day, I'm much more impressed by what people do than what they think. I don't care what people think. You know, obviously there's something that gets destructive. But if that's true, then what you do will be destructive. You know, people are they're also, everybody has their opinions and stuff. Of course, then you've got the real spiritual people. You know, God told me. God told me. Oh, God told me. Of course, that's a Christian way of telling people to shut up. You're trying to argue with somebody. And they, well, not, not, well, the Lord told me. Well, how do you argue with that? Can't argue with God. You know. By the way, you say that to me, it means nothing to me. I, I, you know, people jabber all day long. Now, can God speak to people? Yes. And I will listen to that. But I'm looking at your life. The people who talk to me, I'm looking at the way they live. And has it ever noticed the people, the people who claim to be the most spiritual and God's always telling them stuff are the ones who their personal lives are disasters. They can't stay married to save their lives. Their kids can't stand them. Can't keep a job, can't pay their bills, but yet they're so spiritual. Really, be careful. When people go around telling you all this kind of stuff, look at who they are. Look at who's talking to you. You need to have some character in you. Wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Then anyway, Jesus goes on and he starts now to denounce the cities in which he's been preaching because they didn't repent. You would think Jesus shows up, everybody's going to believe, right? You think if Jesus shows up in Green Bay and starts emptying out all the hospitals and doing all that, everybody in the Green Bay would, woo, are going to believe in it. Not a chance. It just doesn't work that way. Jesus begins to denounce, in verse 20, he begins to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles have performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, uh, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon, these two wicked cities, than on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you're going to go to hell, is what he says here. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, this is Sodom and Gomorrah, nasty place, so bad God destroyed the whole place. He said, if those miracles would have been performed in Sodom, Sodom, they would have remained to this day. They would have repented. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for you, for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Wow. That's pretty intense. Sodom and Gomorrah will have less to worry about on judgment day than these cities that saw Jesus do his miracles and still wouldn't believe. It's pretty intense. It goes back to this principle of, you know, to whom much is given, much shall be required. And, and we as Americans, we need to, I don't think we take this seriously enough. People don't. We are living in the richest country on earth, but yet we're not necessarily the most generous people on earth. Uh, we got to be careful. To whom much is given, much should be required. We need to be, um, the, the, without question, we should be the most generous people in the world. 
kind, considerate, thankful for what we have and willing to help others. Okay? Um, another thing to notice about this too is that miracles can help push people towards God, but they'll never make a believer out of someone who just doesn't want to believe. It's not going to happen. Now, if something dramatic happens, God answers a prayer and stuff like that, to people who have a tender heart or who are looking for God, that stuff gets their attention. And you should share those things. Every time you have a miracle in your life, a, a, an answer to prayer or something, share that with the people around you. Man, I was praying about such and such and it happened. Really? But it, it gets people's attention. But that in and of itself won't make people believe. If it did, these people would have all believed. You would think, Jesus shows up, everybody's going to believe, right? No, it didn't happen. And we see this throughout the Bible. One of the most dramatic events is when God sends Moses to Pharaoh. Says, let my people go. He says, I don't want to let them go. And he starts calling out all these plagues and stuff. I mean, unbelievable. Finally, Pharaoh relents. Okay, get out of here. You can take them. They come to the sea. splits the sea. They walk across on dry ground. They get to the other side. There's nothing in the middle of nowhere. God's raining down food for them to eat. Quail would fly down low enough. They could just grab the birds and have a bird sandwich. These guys had it made. You would think they would really be full of faith, right? <laughs> Didn't happen. In fact, Moses goes up into the mountain for 40 days to get the Ten Commandments. By the time he comes up, they're all dancing naked around a cow. A golden cow. They're being, oh, worship on a cow in 30 to 40 days. These people had some issues. They were so stubborn and so hard-hearted. At one point, God said, let me kill them all. Now, when God wants to kill you, that's a bad thing. I mean, everybody has people that don't like them, you know. I got people who don't. It's hard to imagine that someone wouldn't like me. And one of the, you know, it's positive and negative. Being a public figure, there are people who love you and celebrate you. You walk in the door, they light up. And then there's people who hate your guts because they just, they just hate you. And, it's, and people say horrible things about stunning so this is this person talking about this pastor in town. You know, they didn't really know who we were. He's like this and he's doing that. Yeah, really? Who is that? I think his name is Mark Gunger. Whoa, that's me. You know, that's, you know, I'm not doing that. I mean, it's just crazy. People are just mean. I don't know what even motivates some of the nasty things people come up with. But it is what it is. Some people won't like you. Everybody's going to have somebody who doesn't like you. And Jesus said, you follow me, you're going to have people who don't like you. I will say this, if almost everybody in your life doesn't like you, it's you. And there's people who don't get that. They're mad at everybody. This person, that person, that person, this, and they just, everybody. So, hey, when everybody hates you, it's you. Okay? That's the problem. But when God wants to kill you, now you're really a bad place. In fact, Moses said, no, no, don't kill them all. So, so he just waited them out. God's very patient. That's why they were in the wilderness for 40 years. He let them just walk around, walk around until they all died off. And then their kids went into the promised land. The kids did not see the miracles. The parents saw the miracles. <laughs> Didn't believe Jack. So don't, don't get all frustrated sometimes. That, Gee, why didn't God just do more miracles? You know, that in and of itself doesn't do stuff. But... Miracles are important because it does get the attention of tender-hearted people. So you want to see God do wonderful things and share those things. Okay, so then anyway, Jesus says this now. And then he stops and he just looks to heaven and he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Now think about this. 
He basically looks to God and says, thank you that they don't get it. Now, sometimes we get frustrated. As a preacher, I get frustrated sometimes. I talk to people, I talk to people, I talk about it, even in our church here. And I hear people still doing crazy things. I talk about it a million times, and they still ignore everything I say. And it's frustrating to me. But Jesus actually stopped and prays, thank you, Father, that they don't get it, except the ones who have open hearts to get it. And I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago. Look, until God throws the light on in your head, there's nothing I can say. We can only plant the seed, but then God has to throw the switch. And that's just the way it works. So don't get frustrated even in your own life when you share with family and friends that they don't get it. Uh, They're not going to get it. A lot of people won't get it um, until God opens their eyes. And that's just the way. And he praises God for that. Um, He goes on to say, all things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus said, recorded by John... He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. You're saying the only way you can know God is through Jesus Christ? Is that what you're saying? No, that's what Jesus said. Pretty radical. That's why for 2,000 years, people have been highly motivated to share this message everywhere they go. And look, you can't make people believe. Our job is to plant seeds. That's it. It's like a farmer who has a field. You can't just say, well, I'm going to trust God for corn in my field this year. And do nothing. You're not going to have any corn. You've got to plant the seed. But once you plant the seed, what can he do? Nothing. It's not that he's out there encouraging the corn every morning. <gasps> you can do it. You can do it. I believe in you. I believe in you. There's nothing he can do. Once it's in, it's in. Then God sends... The rain and the sun and the miracle that happens and life bursts out of the ground. Same with us. Jesus is going to talk about that in a little bit. Talking about the importance of planting seeds and why it's the way it is. But our job is to plant the seeds. It's his job to turn the lights on in people's hearts. And then Jesus, after all this now, he has said a lot of very strong things. Enough that you almost go, whoa. You know, this, this, is, this could be pretty tough to follow Jesus. After all this, he makes this appeal to them. He says, and, and this is a very famous version of, of the scripture, the gospel. Jesus says, come to me. He appeals to people. Come to me. Who's he talking to? All you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. After all this that we've been reading, and at times very challenging and serious how we need to take our faith, but he says, listen, this is not that hard. What's hard is people, not people who follow God, it's the ones who don't follow God. I mean, the propensity and the ability of people to be miserable is quite amazing. Have you ever noticed this? They are angry. They are bitter. They are doing all kinds of nasty, self-destructive things. And they just love it. And it's killing them. And I'll never forgive that person. That dirty blankety blanket. Everybody does that to me. People are just lashing out. And the weight and the nastiness is on them. They do, their life just stinks. Everything's so horrible. And you come to them and say, man, why don't you, 
Where did you come to Jesus? Now! I love my precious, my precious, my precious. I just love my precious. Just stay away from me! Lord of the Rings, you got to see the movie. Have you all seen the movie? It's a great movie. Yeah. Have you read the book? Anybody read the book? That's, that's miserable. Yes. I, I tried reading it. It was horrifying. <laughs> About chapter 10, I wanted to take ice picks and pick my eyes out. I mean, it's just... Tolkien, he was such a detailed writer. He just detailed. That's what people loved about him. I couldn't stand it. You know, a whole chapter of a guy riding a horse and he's describing every tree and brush and something he walks by. Like, who cares? What happens next? I couldn't take it. Watch the movie. I think it's more fun. Anyway, but you got this little troll. Actually, the prequel's coming out in Christmas at a theater near you. And it's, and it's, and it's about the story of this guy who gets crazy. He's a normal person, but he eventually turns into this troll because it's going, I love my precious, my precious. <laughs> and he dances around and he's crazy. He's crazy. The thing is killing him. That's most people today. Hang on to their sins and their anger and their bitterness. And, ah, no! and some of them come to church. Some of you sitting here right now. Over at Appleton. Stephen's, well, I can see you over there. You little troll. I see you. You're sitting in the back right now. I see you back there just hanging on your stupid ex-wife. I'll never forget my ex-wife. And that stupid ex-husband, he's just a dope. He goes to hell. Really? Aren't you fun to be around? <laughs> yeah, this is a stupid thing. I'm going to keep doing this and that. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it. I love my precious, my precious. <laughs> and it's turning your little troll and you're trolling around and you're eating fish, raw fish and bugs and your life's awful. And they hang on. They won't let go. I don't want to follow Jesus. It's too hard. Really? <laughs> Because what you're doing sucks. Your, your life is awful. You're miserable. You people watching me on TV right now, God forbid you get out of bed and go to church. Can't have that, but at least you watch. Bunch of slackers. <laughs> what are they going to do? Stop not coming to church? Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. See, get a life. Quit watching TV, go to church. But your life, your life suck. You know they suck. You're miserable, you're angry, you're bitter, you're sick in your body. Everything is horrible. And just hang on there. <laughs> Good Lord. Jesus says, Come to me. At some point, you got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. At some point, you got to say, you know, this isn't working for me. People go to their graves miserable, carrying burdens and weights. I don't know how they get up in the morning. I get depressed just listening to them, much less living that way, hanging on to every little thing and the weight that is on them as they can barely function in life. But don't you dare. Reminds me of my daughter when she was a little girl. <laughs> my daughter Leslie, when she was a small child. Oh my gosh. 
you know, I thought she was possessed. But anyway, you know, waiting for her head to go. <laughs> One strong-willed child. You think you got a strong-willed child? Ha-ha! <laughs> you got nothing. You should have seen her. But she's, she's a sweetie. But anyway. She was, she was so stubborn. And, just, and she only had one way of crying. All out. Screaming. You couldn't tell if a fly landed on her or if her leg was broken. There, there was no in between. You know, Phil came along. Then he cried normally. went, oh my gosh, look at that. He just cries a little bit when he's a little upset. But Leslie, everything was just... Aah! So anyway, she gets, she, got, she gets a splinter in her finger. Clearly, it's the end of the world. And she's screaming, bloody murder. Daddy! Daddy! Ah! Ah! And I say, here. And she goes, don't touch it! Right? Don't touch it. It's killing. It's hurt. But sometimes you got to grab the little rascal. And, yeah! It's like people, they don't, they, they got the horrible thing, but they won't let Jesus pull the sliver out of their lives. And what he's saying to you is, man, let it go. What I'm talking about, Jesus said, this is easy. My burden is light. You will find rest in your souls. Come to me. If you're listening to me this morning, here at our campuses, on television, on the internet, your life is full of weight and burdens, man. Come to Jesus. Let it go. Oh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Don't touch it. No, you got to touch it. Let him take that stuff out of your life. It's not working for you. And sadly, there's nothing I can do to fix it. If God doesn't throw the switch in your head, you'll never see this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you can lift our burdens and bring us life and remove the guilt and the shame and those destructive things that are at work in us. But God, they can only do it if you turn the lights on for them. Lord, all the people listening to me in this room at our campuses or in Appleton and Stevens Point for those watching on television right now, listening on the internet. God, people who are listening and maybe they don't even understand what I'm talking about, but God, I ask you, turn the light on. People who faithfully attend this church, but they're still hanging on to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, it's rotting their souls. It's making them physically ill. But yet they hang on to it with every ounce of strength. God, turn the light on for them. Help us all just learn to let go. And let God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.